hey, if you like this podcast, but you might like it better if there were no ads, you can do that. Head over to relevantmagazine.com and sign up for Relevant Plus. For just a couple bucks a month, you get this podcast ad-free. You get ad-free unlimited reading at relevantmagazine.com, including the full podcast and magazine archives. Our beautifully designed digital issue and a little more. Uh, Check out all the info right there on the Relevant Plus tab at relevantmagazine.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, everyone. I'm Danny Pellegrino. I'm Jenna Brister. And we are back for season four of a very, very, very iconic, iconic podcast. podcast where the two of us recap all the holiday movies we love and some that we don't love so much. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tis the season. That's right. We're covering some classics this year. We are recapping the entire Santa Claus trilogy. We're going to be diving into a Halloween movie this year. Yes. Hocus Pocus 2. That's right. The yes. sequel. We also have I'll Be Home for Christmas during Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So we are leaning into the home improvement of it all. And if you want to follow along, you can go to Instagram. It's at a very merry iconic podcast on Instagram and be sure to Listen, subscribe, tell a friend. Have a very merry, iconic day. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. It's the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang. And joining me from Loveland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author, speaker, podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And sitting in once again, Derek is still uh, unable to record. His studio is being rebuilt. Uh, so joining us once again, a relevant team member from San Diego, California, Gabrielle Griffin. Hey, Gabs. Hi, guys. You did so good last time. We wanted to have you back. You did Thanks. so great. Great. Thanks. Yeah, was it just was it just a huge rush? When it that, was. When, when Adrenaline <laughs> was pumping. I I'm sitting here at my desk ready to run. She was just run on adrenaline and then like once we stopped recording, it was just like, whoa, what just happened? Yeah, she just, yeah, just, just she a blocked blur. out the whole time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Jesse, yeah. I'm telling you, I spent the entire weekend in a, in a deep dive trying to figure out your Giants theory from last show. I know we don't reference show to show, but I mean, that, we could do a whole episode. We could do a whole episode just on that. If you I, guys like, Clark, I think we should devote more. the month of March. There's more. The month of March to Giant Jesse's month. Giant Theories because we need to get some Let's experts on here. Some J- Let's get Jane Goodall I would on love, the phone. I would love just relevant in general to do, you know, I mean, I know in the past they've done, you know, there, we came off like a wellness month and or, mm-hmm. or not a month, but mm-hmm. a stretch of like wellness mm-hmm. stuff. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we've done like relationship months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why not Giants month? Okay. Well, just well, well first of all, we had sponsors for those months that, you know, that wanted to <laughs> propel that type of content, thoughtful content. I, mean, I don't know who I would fund Giants month. Is, is Big and Tall Store still a thing? <laughs> we could hit up them. Maybe like XL see if Joseph A. Banks, if <laughs> even just the Big and Call section of Joseph A. Banks. Oh my gosh. Um, oh my gosh. I'm sure. Big and Tall Stores are going to sponsor Is there like an orthopedic? Is there an orthopedic shoe company that might want to be a part of it? I, I you know, I, yeah. I, I don't want to write it off quite yet. We'll tell the ad you know? team. We'll tell the sales team. Look I into mean, it. You know, I think, you know, Costco seems to sell food in tremendous portions. If anyone's going to corner the market yeah. on if giant you're gigantic feed a giant, appetites. You got to shop at Costco. Yeah. There yeah. you go. There you go. Yeah. The, yeah. And so, you know, maybe the, maybe the New York Giants, you know, oh, yeah. you know, they're not doing so hot. Right. Yeah. It seems like they could use a little good publicity. Why not get them they on could. board? I'm just saying, I don't know if the sales team's trying hard enough is the problem. <laughs> I think the, mar- the market demand's pretty clear on the Giant front. It's There's a demand there. It's, why, it's a matter of... Why are the New York Giants named Giants? Is it because it's ancient land of Giants? <sighs> they they oh, live in the Northeast? And then there's the San Francisco Giants too. San Francisco Giants, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the San so, Francisco Giants. Maybe yeah. Giants is just like you know you're playing against the Giants. That's scary, you know. So here come the Giants. Well, it could be the San Francisco <laughs> Philistines, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, that wasn't too 
frightening. They probably ran that through some marketing and then landed back on the Giants. <laughs> doesn't roll off the tongue the same way. You yeah. know, doesn't really, you know. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, we talk to professor and author Kristen Dumay. She is, I mean, you probably know her from her book. Got a lot of conversation, still getting a lot of conversation around it. Jesus and John Wayne. And uh, she's going to join us today. Also, we have uh, slices coming up. And at the end of the show, we have your feedback. But before we get going, Jesse, I know you have strong thoughts about the Winter Olympics. And they, since they are now a couple of weeks in the rearview mirror, what is your takeaway? We're in March now. We have moved on. We're in springtime. March Madness is March ahead. Madness is coming yes. up. Yeah, the, the lame sports are over. The good sports yep. are, are here. <laughs> Jesse, what is your postmortem about the winter sports, you know, finally ending? Yeah, I mean, it, well, I, I think, you know, we talked exclu- extensively about all the things wrong with the Olympics uh, in recent weeks. But mm-hmm. I want to, uh, you know, I think we can redeem just the idea of the Winter Olympics hmm. by just freshening up some of the competition. Because I ran across a video of something called Ski Ballet the other day. Okay, it is ballet on skis. And now in your mind, you're thinking, well, that sounds super lame. Like, you know, skiing isn't all that exciting. Neither is 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 ballet. But the, this, this event is unlike anything I've ever seen. Okay. Imagine someone on on skis trying to be elegant one they're moving at very slow speed like they're not like skiing down a hill doing ballet they're just kind of jumping around on cross country style or like uh, is it flat just jumping around it's a flat area just imagine someone on skis just kind of pushing around they're not really going anywhere just Uh in circles they're like standing up on their poles spinning their feet like a helicopter it's unbelievable I just think we need to just start getting more creative and just combining sports into one awesome thing. You know what I mean? Like ski ballet. It's okay. like that one, the, like the, like the one where they ski and shoot a gun. There's right. no need yes. to combine those things, right. but I'm going to watch if they do. Well, if, they play- if, you, <laughs> if you, if you had to hunt in Norway or Alaska, you need to know how to ski and shoot. I mean, it's, it's a, a skill. It's yeah. a skill. It's a, it's a survival skill, but you're saying what you want to do is a fishbowl of sports on individual pieces of paper and people have to just grab two and combine them and then Correct. make it an event. Oh, that's a fun party game Absolutely. right there. I think we need to freshen this whole thing up. Like I said, you just, you, it's like, oh, I got uh, basketball speed skating. All right, don't know how that's going to work, but let's try it. <laughs> like, it can't be any worse or more boring than what I'm watching now. It just, I'm just throwing it out there to the IOC. I think they need to buy back some goodwill. Let's, 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 let's get a little weird with next year. That's all I'm saying. It's just a minor suggestion from, a, from someone who stumbled on an awesome video. I'm going to send it around <laughs> to the team if I can find it. Well, I looked up some images on this ski ballet and uh, every image I'm finding looks very like 1970, 1980s. Is this like this is a thing right now that people are doing? It, no, they, this okay. has been long discontinued. This, and th- you're saying bring it back. Th- this is from the era where like ski movies were just a common thing. Like once a year, a new like raunchy ski comedy would come out <laughs> yeah. where it's just like, you know, the resort is about to get taken over by some big investor and they're going to lose. It's kind of hippie free will and spirit and go commercial. And the rebel skiers, ski, you know, those movies that used to come out in the 80s. It's from that era. Ski ballet. It. it was it was kind of the glory day. But, you know, I think I think this is something that. uh we can bring back and introduce the world just to something just wholesome and fun. I'm what are, what are some other guys. sports that should be combined, Jesse? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, I think I would like to see some combination of gymnastics and bowling, I think would be a lot of fun. <laughs> that sounds you violent. <laughs> Precisely. What, what are they doing? Like the flipping, they're flipping with a ball and then at the end of the flip. Like they're just flinging it toward the pins. Like or the that, gymnast would... is the bolt, or the gymnast is the bowling ball. They have oh, to figure okay. out how to slide wow. down the thing. Okay, maybe do a trick halfway. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. There, it 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 lends itself to a lot of creativity. I like it. Maybe that should be the question of the week this week. What sports should be combined? Mm. I like it. Okay. All right. Well, that'll do it for Jesse's uh, winter sports <laughs> thoughts. Stay tuned. Up next, it's slices.
listening to Future Islands. The song is King of Sweden. Speaking of winter sports. Well, today's show is brought to you by UHSM. Healthcare costs have been growing year after year and can lead to a lot of confusion. Thankfully, UHSM offers great and affordable health for everyone. Unite Healthshare Ministries is a Christian health sharing ministry that puts your health above anything else. The programs at UHSM aren't insurance, but member-based fellowships where faithful people can take charge of their own health care. UHSM offers a variety of programs to meet your needs, from telehealth options to plans that cover the unexpected moments in life. UHSM has something for everyone. For more info, check out UHSM.org or contact a rep at 800-900-8476. Again, check out UHSM.org or contact a rep at 800-900-8476. Okay, it's time for Slices. Boy, you're going with the original. One second. Slices. See, I... There's that one too. I like the original. Like the original has an authority and an oomph to right. it. And that one is like, mm-hmm. uh, you know. It like sounded it. great. It sounded great. <laughs> well, do you really want one that's going to be a shocker, Gabs? Because yes. yeah, yeah. Here, here you go. Yeah. Slices. <laughs> Just oh, I hate that sets one. the that wrong sounds tone. violent. Yeah. yeah, that's no good. Yeah. Do the, do the sexy one. We need the sexy one. Oh yeah. It's time for slices, girl. (laughs) Bring in the heat. All right. What do you have, Jesse? All right. So how many of you guys um how often do you leave home without your phone, if ever? Never. My car doesn't work without my phone. (laughs) So I can't leave home without it. Often, Gabs? Often, yeah. I I really don't like to be on my phone. Where do you go without a phone? Usually with my husband. I feel like if I am with my husband, I really don't, I really don't need my phone that often. So if I'm trying to be intentional, I'll leave it at home. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. What what, what about you, Jesse? Do you ever leave home without it? Almost never. I mean, uh, I don't even I mean, I don't even go from room to room without it. And that's probably problematic. So so what you're hold on. So what you're saying is when I text you and you don't reply for eight or nine hours, (laughs) it's intentional. Jesse, you just got called out. (laughs) I'm not. Here's the thing. I will say this. The evenings are a little different. The evenings I do. I will like leave it somewhere. And if I'm like putting my kids down or if I'm or if I'm really engaged in a show, yeah. I will put my phone, you know, saying the evenings are kind of my not digital twilight, but like the time where I don't have it. But if it's during the day, yeah, I'm 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 always thinking there's someone trying to get a hold of me. Right. Um, well, I wanted to, to read uh, some a recent findings. You got there like everybody's trying I, to get in touch with me all the time. I didn't say everyone. <laughs> I just said there wow. are people. And it's most likely uh, uh, people that are dependent on me for run- some re- reason or another that I've dropped the ball on something. So I can tell you it's for, <laughs> it's not for ego so, yeah. reasons. Yeah. It's, it's that, oh, man, what did I forget to do today? Who's oh, mad man. at me right now? Oh. Um, but uh, uh, there was a, a new study in this uh, studyfinds.org uh, actually uh, um, did sort of a uh, aggregation of a handful of recent studies that show just how dependent people are on their phones one in or i'm sorry one in eight people claim that a dying battery actually gives them physical symptoms of anxiety if they see that their battery is on the verge of dying people are one in eight people in part of this survey and the survey should be noted was uh commissioned by a uh a, a mobile tech company um, that one in eight actually have physical anxiety conditions when their phone is on the verge of dying. Uh, nearly 48% said it would be very upsetting if they lost their phone. That's a higher percentage than people uh, who would be uh, a more upset that people, they would be more upset about losing their phone than their bank card, their car keys, or even their wedding ring. Uh, the losing the phone had a greater degree of people that were demonstrating signs of being stressed out and upset. Hmm. I, Jeez. I, I got I don't love it, but I can kind of relate to be honest with you. There are a few things that I stress me. I, I was at a friend's house the other day. I was getting ready to leave. And, and now you're bragging that you find got my friends. Golly, man. And they have a house. So you popular. have a friend. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. Let me get this straight. You have a friend who has a house. Yeah. Wow, must be nice. Yeah, friends and houses and shelter. Um, 
And I and I was about to leave and I was like, guys, I can't find my keys or my wallet. And you know, what? I wasn't that stressed. I was like, yeah, what's worse that's going to happen? I'll have to get some credit cards replaced. I'll get a key made. If I'm not, if I don't have my phone, it's, it's, it's a, a feeling I don't like. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just being honest. Mm-hmm. This study, you know, didn't make me any more comforted. It's like, you know, I know a lot of psychology goes into the design of, of, of how we interface with technology that it, they're, they're designed to make us dependent on them. But if you, when you guys experience this, is it kind of a wake up call for you? Experience the anxiety? Yeah, to, to, to experience these negative feelings when you're without a device. Yeah. I mean, I get that anxiety situationally. It would make sense to get anxiety if you're like needing, you don't have transportation and you need your phone to be able to get in touch with somebody to get transportation to Uber or something that makes sense to have anxiety. But if we're talking like we're just with people and hanging out and your phone battery is dying and you can't charge it and you have anxiety, I mean, then you're just a little too attached to your phone. I'm like, who cares? Like I'll go all day without my phone. I don't even know. Yeah, I'm fine. Jamie, what about you? Well, I mean, I was thinking when you're talking about how much I use my phone for, and I've actually debated about taking email off my phone. Do you guys have your email on your phone? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I I did for a while, but I do now. Yeah. I'm actually considering taking it off because it would be like, I'm just going to have that because I'll check my email on my phone all day long. And that feels so counterproductive because I'm not actually emailing anyone back. So I feel like I'm not actually doing anything. Yeah, take it Um, off. But- Yeah. But I think just the thought of like not having my phone, it would stress me out. And I'm trying to think if I should feel bad about that or not. You're a parent and your kids may, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. like I think with people that have like, like your parent, I mean, like having Mm -hmm. your phone, it's kind of a safety net in case. Yeah. Something happened. They can reach you. That kind of Which thing. Which is so funny. We're all of us. Uh, well, Ga- Gabriel, I don't know how old you are, but all of us, everyone else on this podcast, we all remember that we didn't have phones when we were in high school and middle school. Yeah. And so like if I needed something from my mom in the middle of the day, I had to go to the office. I had to ask the secretary or the the person at the front desk if I could use her phone. And then, you know, my mom wouldn't answer her phone because she was driving from work to home. There just was not this easy access to get a hold of everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're so used to that now that we even think like, well, why isn't my kid texting me back? And then they finally do. They're like, mom, I was taking a test. I'm like, well, just answer your phone real quick. I mean, I know you're in fifth period, but just, you know, answer me. We're so used to that instant everything. And, and not mm-hmm. only that, it like phones serve, and I, I consider myself someone who's reasonably comfortable in their own skin and can reasonably comfortable in social settings. But the phone is like a weird social crutch too, where if you're in a place and you just want to disappear, you just start scrolling Twitter or looking at Instagram and all of a sudden no one bothers you and you're not socially uncomfortable anymore. Or if you're at a party and you don't really know anyone or just want to break from talking to people, it's totally socially acceptable to just start looking on your phone. But I don't really know if that's a good impulse. Like, you know, if you're waiting in line at the grocery store, it's just everyone just no one's just standing there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like just being present. Everyone is taking themselves out of the moment. And I almost feel like not so much the ability to get a hold of someone or not get a hold of someone or to to, you know, to to be accessible. I almost think. That's sort of the more danger, not dangerous, but concerning thing is, have we lost the ability to just be and not to be present, you know, have, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Not to have yeah. a device in front of our face. If we're at a stop, again, sometimes I'll catch myself at a stoplight. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to see what's going on Twitter for this 30 seconds. You know, it's like right. mm-hmm. you sometimes right. you do wonder, like, what is access to this technology actually doing to us psychologically? And this study is interesting because not just psychologically, it's having an emotional impact on people just at the idea that the battery might prevent them from being able to access something that they feel a compulsion to constantly look at. I think it's without question that it definitely takes us out of the moment and, and affects our relationships and affects friendships. It affects you being present. I mean, like I can think of just recently being in the store in line to get something and talking to a friend I was with and then being on their phone and feeling like it was rude, feeling like, you know, this is keeping us from connecting and talking and being in relationship. I feel like it affects us negatively in a lot of ways. I don't know. I can't find a positive there. <laughs> I, I've I'm a, I'm on screens all day long. And so like and mm-hmm. I'm aware, too, of my own tendency to like I, I go all in on something like I'll go like too far. And, and, and like, frankly, like 
too much of anything can make you an addict. And so like, I'm aware of that with tech. So when I'm not like screens in my face working or, or watching TV, like I'm, I'm not intentional to like turn off the phone and like, I'll just mm-hmm. go like sit in the evenings and watch the sunset on my back porch completely in silence. Cause I need that break, you know, like, mm-hmm. and like when I'm in the car, like I, I put the phone away. Like I, I, I'm very mindful that I, I'll take it too far. Like I'll be too addicted to it. So I just, I, I put that boundary up for myself, but I probably learned mm-hmm. that the hard way. But it's interesting. Anxiety from low batteries affecting America. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. What do you have, Jamie? Well, this is an interesting story. And I don't know if you guys remember that in 2015, there was a shooting where a gunman um, actually uh, shot a reporter and I believe her cameraman, as they were doing a live coverage of the news. Wow. And does anyone, do y'all remember this? I didn't remember this happening until I read about it. Okay, so the, this happened in um, 2015. Was it like a drive-by shooting? No, it was a um, disgruntled employee. No. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it's an interview, um, shot ring out, and it's a two-person film crew. And the reporter, Allison Parker, she was actually killed as well as her reporter. She runs desperately as the camera tumbles to the ground. The cup clits and the final scene is the legs of the shooter as he advances. Well, this 17-second clip, which I'm just so surprised that this actually went live. I would have really thought they had a delay going on here, but I guess not, right? So this 17-second clip... Uh, from 2015, as the cameraman and the reporter were fatally shot by a disgruntled employee, a colleague, it went viral. And it's been viral. It's still viral. It's been viewed millions of times on Facebook and YouTube and other places. And the woman who was murdered, her father, Andy, has been on a mission to have this clip removed from the internet. But if you can imagine, removing something from the internet feels impossible, especially something that's been shared millions and millions and millions of times. And honestly, until I read this, I would have never imagined what it would feel like for you to know that someone that you loved had something so tragic happen to them and that people were watching it kind of flippantly all over the internet. I mean, Mm -hmm. that has to be heartbreaking, right? Mm -hmm. So her dad's on a mission and y'all know, I do not understand this, but here's what he's doing. He's transformed the clip of the killings into an NFT And he's trying to bid it to own it so that no one else can use it. We've talked about NFTs before. I don't quite understand. But from my understanding, you guys will correct me. He will own that clip. He will have it copyrighted. And then anyone that uses it, he can actually sue them. Am I correct? That's not how NFTs work. It's not. I've seen. I've seen. I saw this news. And yeah, it's there's there's two two perspectives on the legal side of this. And there are some legal experts saying, yeah, this is a theory. He should try this. But mm-hmm. 99%, uh, that's not how copyright law works. But that's not what an NFT is. An NFT is like he's buying an individual clip, like that one clip. And it's Which just maybe yeah, he wants to buy change. the individual, the very. But he didn't buy all first. the facsimiles of that clip. He didn't, you know, like it's like if I have an image, an, an NFT, it's an mm-hmm. image. I can screenshot that image. It's not, it's not, you own that one, but I own a facsimile of it or an image, a picture of it. You know what I mean? So I took a picture of your picture and just, you own your picture. That's great. But it's on the blockchain. It's a totally different thing than other clips on other websites. It's a nice attempt, but it's not how NFTs work. He He's very clearly, he says that this is his Hail Mary. It's like his yeah. last resort. Yeah. And we've seen this happen before it's with sad. families of shooting victims from Sandy yeah. Hook. Yeah. Uh, there was a, uh, a man, Lenny, whose son, Noah, who was killed in the shooting in 2012. And he's filed hundreds of copyright claims to get pictures of his son taken down from websites that are spreading conspiracy theories about that shooting. And so I think in my what my understanding of this whole thing is that these are parents who are saying yeah. you are profiting, whether that is maybe not even by money, but just by like profiting by enjoyment of mm-hmm. watching my child be murdered and I can't stand for this anymore. And so he's doing whatever he can to get it taken down. The 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 copyright thing is different than the NFT thing. And and that's true. Like if I if I am the creator of an image and mm-hmm. you've stolen my image and you put it on your website, copyright law, I'm coming after you to to yank yeah. it with monetary right. co- you know, but but NFT ownership is different than copyright. So he would have to go to like the station purchase the footage, become the owner of the copyright of that footage. And then he can get a legal team going after any website that's 
streaming the footage that he owns. That is absolutely true, but that's totally separate from NFTs. Copyrights and NFTs are two totally different laws. But anyway. Yeah, and, and I think too, beyond just like this particular case, I think it also kind of raises, to me, more, even more, I've been long skeptical of not just NFTs, but a lot of crypto related, you know, sort of developments and technology, you know, in, in terms of, I'm not saying I'm not skeptical of the technology itself. I understand, you know, sort of blockchain and, you know, that, how it functions, but I'm skeptical about the applications people are finding for them. Right. Because I think, you know, in a case like this, it's like, this isn't going to provide this individual with what he's looking for, which is the ability to own a piece of footage in order to prevent it from being spread. It All it does is give him a, you know, a, a literal digital token that says that he has a copy that no one else has, but it doesn't preclude anyone from making a copy. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, then it just opens up a bigger conversation. Well, if that's all NFTs are, then what's the what's the point beyond just verifying that your digital copy is a different one than someone else has someone else has? If it gives you no sense of like ownership, then what's even the point? You know, I, I, I that's kind of a, I guess a separate conversation, but I think one that is related to this. And I think there are some major misconceptions about NFTs that need to be dispelled, especially for people who are considering investing in them. You know? For sure. Okay, can I read this from the article? Yeah. It says that um, he doesn't, he just doesn't want people sharing footage of his daughter's murder anymore and turning the video into an NFT would technically give him the legal leverage to file copyright claims against platforms that host the video. Does that clear up some misunderstanding? No, I mean, you communicated that clearly. That's just not how NFTs work. It's a sad story. It's a very sad story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, Gabs, your debut slice, no pressure. (laughs) What do you have? The world awaits. Great. Well, my slice is coming. The stakes cannot be higher. Gap, what is your slice? You know what? The pressure you guys put on me is making me want to, like, stuff I had in a pillow and not come out for the rest of the day. Can I be honest? Gabs, I got to be honest. I'm nervous for you. Great. I understand how big of a deal this is. And I'm actually having Gabs. We've got a good momentum. Degree of anxiety right now. Wow. Okay. Well, you know what? I've never been told I'm a good storyteller, so this should be interesting. This is coming from all the way. You're, from you're off to a good start. We're Once off upon to a good time. Start. Self-deprecation <laughs> is my humor. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is coming from Forest Lake, Minnesota. Okay. This man, Eric Johnson, he owns a collectible store. So it's like knickknacks, collectibles items. Um, things, Yeah. Things that you wouldn't find in, in a regular store. Um he had a Pokemon collection and he worked extensively to have this in his store. Just the most exclusive of the Pokemon cards. A thief broke in the middle of the night, dug a tunnel through his wall, like actually created a hole and then made it like a old tunnel. timey bank robberies. Were they? Like, they like, I guess so. Ch- he didn't. It, yeah, uh-huh. he chiseled his way through. He didn't trip any alarms. He didn't go through a window. So obviously the owner had no idea until he reviewed camera footage and obviously saw a store the next day. But he stole $250,000 worth of Pokemon cards. And oh my gosh. Yeah, so now the owner is having to file through insurance, but he like broke down because I guess he can't get the Pokemon cards back either way because they were like so rare. And yeah, the craziest part of this, though, is that this man literally created a tunnel through the store wall for, for Pokemon cards. That's like Shawshank for Redemption Pokemon cards. style. Yeah. Isn't it? Ocean's yeah. Eleven. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven, like, you know, ventilation shaft. Like it's like Tom Cruise going down the ventilation uh-huh. shaft for the knock list or whatever. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, but this is just some nerd tunneling for Pokemon cards. <laughs> so they haven't you know? caught him? No, nope. He's still at large. So if you have Pokemon wow. cards, hide is there security footage and stuff? I mean, there is, but there's no like, on. yeah, there's no, there's no way to like He's visibly tell Pikachu who it was. Costume. <laughs> <laughs> Just look for the big nerd in your town, and that's the, that's the guy. That's the culprit. Yeah, <laughs> the now new rich nerd in your town. <laughs> but two hundred fifty thousand sounds like a lot, right? Uh-huh. It sounds like a lot, but there there are actual single Pokemon cards that, that are that sell for over a million dollars. So yeah, two hundred fifty thousand yeah. for a whole collection actually isn't that crazy. Maybe that's 
going to a collection that he already had. Now he has like an ultimate collection. Mm. And he just needed this one last collector's edition piece. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Get, get out the pickaxe and start chiseling away and go... <laughs> That's crazy. It's like when it's like I think it, and this is uh, this is outside of my beat, but I believe Jake Paul, <laughs> yeah, recently yeah. bought a, 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 po- a Pokemon card or set of Pokemon cards for north of three million dollars. Yeah, and, what? Uh, he I can't remember if that was the one where he opened. <laughs> he opened the packages live on YouTube to yeah. reveal his three million dollar cards, and it was GI Joe cards, and so one had stuffed in there instead, and just ripped them off, and you know oh got off scot free, which is objectively hilarious. Even That's though it's a one crime. of the things on his YouTube channel. Like he was just opening packs of cards and came yeah. across a million dollar card, and then when he fought, he turned this million dollar wow. card. He like got it encased. You know, you got to put it encased, and he turned mm-hmm. it into a huge necklace and that yeah. was the necklace that he wore to like go to the ring to like fight his next fight or whatever he's walking in with his yeah. million dollar pokemon card and his gold necklace so it just seems like if i'm going to tunnel into something right. for theft right i got to make it because that's not a cool story like right. i right. Cameron, i know we've talked about those high shows on netflix there's right. like a a hundred of them. And it tells people stories of like awesome heist. Yeah. You want to steal like, man, I, I got a brink truck worth of the cash. I got this, these priceless jewels, uh, yeah. you know, this, you know, this fleet of Italian sports cars or something, you know, it's like cool stuff. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like, Hey man, I tunneled into a sports car sh- store and ripped off some kids Pokemon collection. It's like, well, that's not that cool. It's like, what are you bragging about that? You're not part of the cool thief club anymore. This is for cool heists people, not people, you know, did- tunneling into, the, you know, the, the the nerd store to take Pokemon <laughs> the stuff. The nerd store. It's the nerd store. The nerd store. <laughs> Especially now knowing uh, that like there are cards worth a million and more. That's insane. What? Yeah. 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 Hey, but it's like anything, though. It's like Beanie Babies. It's whatever. It's like it's not that there's any intrinsic value to that card. It's just rarity mm-hmm. and then supply and demand. Yeah. And then if if mm-hmm. it's worth what somebody will pay for it. But will they be willing to pay that five years from now when it's out of fashion? Probably not. It's not a good place to put your money. So mm-hmm. uh, well, I've invested heavily, heavily. And in, I have a Roth IRA. And a lot of Pokemon. And, uh, you know, I'm just hoping they can weather this economy. You know, I know inflation's crazy right now, but the Pokemon market is our, the most stable commodity we have right now. And that's concerning to me. But it is what it is. Wait, it's stable digging through a wall to get Pokemon cards? <laughs> yeah. It's high demand, you know. All right. Good job, Gabs. You didn't ruin the show. Thanks. I'm very That's a great, great storytelling. Great a low job. bar, but you cleared it. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah. All right, stay tuned. Up next, Kristen Dumay joins us. I think I met you in a dream. You're listening to Coin. The song is I Think I Met You in a Dream. Well, our guest today is Kristen Dumay. She's a professor of history and gender studies at Calvin University. She's also a best-selling author, including her most recent book, Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. Dumay sat down with our very own Tyler Huckabee to discuss her latest book and the challenges of tackling patriarchy and misogyny in American Christianity. It's an important conversation. Here is Kristen Dumay. book is a lifetime source. The, the subject of your book is a lifetime source of fascination to me, and I'm really glad that somebody finally tackled this. Uh, a little jealous that you beat me to the punch, but but uh, you did a much better job than I would have on it. Um, so can you start by just giving me, for the people who haven't read it and aren't familiar, a little bit about yourself and maybe a broad overview of Jesus and John Wayne? 
Sure. I, uh, so I teach at Calvin University and I grew up in a small town in Iowa in a conservative Christian subculture, Christian Reformed Church, actually. So Dutch ethnic tradition. I went to a Christian university, went to Dort. Uh, then I went off to graduate school to study U.S. history, intellectual and religious history. But my first semester there, I was introduced to women's history and gender studies and immediately changed my course of study. And uh, my first book ended up being um, out of my dissertation. A History of Christian Feminism. And then uh, once I ended up at Calvin, it was actually my students who introduced me to the, the literature that is really at the heart of Jesus and John Wayne. Uh, they introduced me more than 15 years ago to John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. And it was at that point that uh, I began to wonder how Christian conceptions of masculinity, particularly a, a more militant conception of masculinity, might be connected to a broader set of issues. At that point, it was early in the Iraq War, and uh, I was looking at survey data on how militaristic, how uh, how much more than other Americans, white evangelicals supported that war, preemptive war in general, condoned the use of torture. And so from that point on, I just began watching uh, this, this uh, conversation carefully. Of course, this was the time of Mark Driscoll. There's a lot going on, uh, Doug Wilson and others. And um, I just tracked this for a long time. And then it was in the fall of 2016 that uh, actually in the weeks after the release of the Access Hollywood tape, uh, we saw white evangelicals uh, continue to support uh, Donald Trump in rather astonishing numbers, given everything, that I decided to dust off this old research and uh, uh, see what I could do with it. And that's really the origin story of Jesus and John Wayne. Something that we hear quite a bit uh, relevant is, and that I felt even, is this idea that the the Trump thing came out of nowhere, that all my life I had thought Christians were like this, and now this happens, and uh, I was wrong my entire life. Based on your research, is that a fair assessment? Did this really, was it fair for people to be blindsided by this? Yeah, not really. Uh, right? And that's that's really what I came to realize uh, in, in those weeks after the Access Hollywood tapes, because while while I had been watching kind of this conversation around militant uh, evangelical masculinity uh, for more than a decade, I had seen one after another uh, evangelical leader get become enmeshed in scandal, in uh, abuse of power, in sexual abuse scandals, either directly or indirectly. And many of, of, of those who did were those who were kind of the key proponents of this really militant conception of masculinity and of evangelicalism more broadly. And, um, and so it was at that moment that I realized, uh, we've seen this before. <laughs> we've seen this before. And, and that's why, uh, in the aftermath of, uh, the election, when everybody was kind of wrestling with this 81% of white evangelicals who supported Trump. And the narrative then was, you know, this was a betrayal of evangelical values. And knowing the history that I knew, I, I couldn't accept that. I thought this is not the betrayal of evangelical values. In many ways, it's the fulfillment. We just mm -hmm. haven't properly understood what those values are. Things like family values, evangelicalism, what's really at the heart of that? And when we understand that, then we'll see that uh, what, what we see in this, this widespread devotion to somebody like Trump is in fact largely consistent with many of the values that evangelicals hold. And evangelicalism is a diverse movement, and I'm talking specifically about white evangelicalism. So to clarify that, and then I focus on conservative white evangelicalism. So, uh, you know, the dominant subset. Uh, but what I saw in my research is uh, were a number of things, uh, uh, a long tradition of this kind of us versus them mentality of, uh, you know, we have the truth, we have God's truth on our side, and uh, you need to be suspicious of outsiders, outsiders who do not have this 
with truth who who are a threat. Sometimes those outsiders were you know, maybe the church down the road. Uh, sometimes those outsiders were communists or liberals or feminists or secular humanists or radical uh, Muslims, uh, right? There, there's a lot of, but this us versus them kind of militancy uh, was a long part of conservative evangelicalism uh, in religiously, uh, right, theologically, but also politically. And they, they go hand in hand. And then uh, looking at conceptions of leadership that were um, patriarchal. So patriarchal leadership really is at the center of family values conservatism uh, when you look at it historically. And uh, there too, I I read the literature and there's a lot to to read about, you know, through the history of evangelicalism, what should men do? What should women do? Uh, and, And to be a man was to be a protector and a provider and God filled men with testosterone so that they could be aggressive. They could be strong. They could be violent when necessary to protect faith, family, and nation. And this may be a little bit beyond the scope of your research, but uh, I know you're familiar with the question. There's a lot of people who are really heartbroken and who feel like they, they lost a whole community in this. Do you, are those people, is it a lost cause to try to, to redeem evangelicalism, reform evangelicalism? That is the question of the hour. And uh, it's it's a very hard one to answer. Uh, the, the historian in me says this is, this is so deeply embedded. When it came to the end of this book, uh, the, the end of the manuscript, I um, was not in a place of hope or good cheer. And so much so my editor, uh, after he finished the manuscript, he wrote me and said, you know, could you give us a little hope in your conclusion? <laughs> and I, I really tried. I looked at that. I, I wrote back to him a couple of days later. I was like, I don't think I can. I've got nothing. I feel the same way you do after reading this. And he's like, okay, I respect that. And then two days later, he writes back again. Kristen, just give us something. <laughs> we, we can't do this to your readers. So then I gave him the last sentence of the book. What was once done can also be undone. And it just felt really flimsy at the time. Um, but there's truth to that. There's truth that once you know this history, once you see that this was not all God ordained, it was not inevitable, that these were choices made by individuals, often men for various reasons, often to enhance their own power. And then you can start to say, is is this right? Is this where we want to be? Uh, or, or do we need to undo some of this? And, and, and place ourselves on a different path. And so I think that there is, um, there is hope. I actually have much more hope now than I did when I finished this book. And that's hmm. because of the response to this book. Hmm. I uh, have received hundreds and hundreds of letters. I get several a day still uh, from evangelicals themselves saying, this is the story of my life. And I am not okay with this, right? And so exactly those people you're talking about, heartbroken people, many of whom I never would have guessed. Some that I know of, um, powerful leaders, others, Mm. many just ordinary folks. But Mm. they are looking at, you know, other people in their churches and their families and their communities and saying, what happened? And so there is this deep divide. Um, Can it be reformed? Can it be redeemed? Uh, What it will take is a lot of courage a lot of courage for people to speak out and uh, to risk maybe jobs, maybe relationships initially, um, to risk a sense of comfort and um, and to speak out boldly. Um, but it will also take brutal honesty, right? How many of us, even if we are uh, maybe horrified with where we are now, we also need the honesty to look at how we ourselves might be implicated in this and might have been complicit in this. And if we don't have that honesty, then the chances are we are not going to be able to reform and redeem if we haven't fully grasped what needs to be reformed and redeemed. was Kristen Dumay. You can read more of our conversation with her over at relevantmagazine.com. Okay, stay tuned up next. It's your feedback.
listening to Tame Impala. The song is The Boat I Row. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, everyone. I'm Danny Pellegrino. I'm Jenna Brister. And we are back for season four of a very, very, very iconic, iconic podcast. podcast where the two of us recap all the holiday movies we love and some that we don't love so much. Yes, thank you so much for tuning in. Tis the season. That's right. We're covering some classics this year. We are recapping the entire Santa Claus trilogy. We're going to be diving into a Halloween movie this year. Yes, Hocus Pocus 2. That's right, the sequel. We also have I'll Be Home for Christmas starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So we are leaning into the home improvement of it all. And if you want to follow along, you can go to Instagram. It's at a very merry iconic podcast on Instagram. And be sure to Listen, subscribe, tell a friend. Have a very merry, iconic day. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Okay, it's time for your feedback. Last week, we had you guys send in cringy clips, audio clips, or video clips. And then we got thinking... We need to nail that. We need to narrow this down. We need your favorite cringy church video clips. Uh, those viral videos of the pastor having a slip up or this, that, whatever. They're hilarious. They're great. Um, you guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast and sent in a whole bunch of them. Um, also, you sent us a bunch that didn't have good audio. Like this is an audio format, people. So if it's just like a silent <laughs> video of a guy tripping, like that's not really good. But there's a lot. If you want to go view them, go check out the replies over our uh, Twitter account. But here are a few of our favorites. Uh, one uh, Griffin Gulledge sent in uh, one that's just called Heavenly Farts. Um, it, the description <laughs> says words are hard and sometimes we get tongue tied. It happens to the best of us. Even this pastor who tries to start off a sincere prayer. Here it is. Um, before we begin, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Farts, Heavenly oh, Father. No. <laughs> There's no recovery. Be stimulated to love you more. Oh, we um, kept going. Oh, yeah. I would have just it. stopped, laughed. I All love right. it. We're gonna, yeah. yeah, we're going to need to take a beat. I did say Heavenly Farts. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, man. Okay, so the next one is uh, from Jeff Walden. Jeff Walden, it says, uh, it starts off with what appears to be a lovely instrumental cover of the song Give Thanks. But about 25 seconds in, someone who has likely never played this saxophone before jumps in. And this is what happens. I mean, can we be honest? They're circling it. Like I can tell. I'll say this: you can tell what song it was. It. I can tell what they're yeah. going for. I can tell yeah. what they're attempting to achieve. You know. And the funny um, part too is like it was one of those modern church services with like the smoke and the lights, and it was like it looked like legit. And then like that's the saxophonist. Oh, that's great. All right, what's the next one, Clark? All right, so this last one is from Karen Stepko. Karen Stepko, it says Holy Week devotion bloopers. Back in Easter 2020 lockdown, a church made devotional videos for its congregation. Oh, that's nice. We were all trying to find ways to use technology so it makes sense, but that doesn't mean it was easy. A week later, the church released some bloopers to show the behind the scenes technical difficulties. Friends, today we begin by lighting our candle. <laughs> Not able to light. <laughs> when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage, Bethage. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, Dad, st- Dad, Dad. <laughs> Are you busy? And we will be continuing our reading where we. <laughs> reading for Holy Wednesday is quite a bit. Sh- <laughs> Something's burning? As I've been saying throughout <laughs> this Holy Week devotional, nope. <laughs> He's back to trying to light his match. Hey, got it. Hey, that's not that funny to me because that's just like literally us recording the podcast. That's I was going to say, that's our life. It's behind the scenes with podcasting. Uh 
Hey, what what was the guy we mentioned last week that he introduced himself and then did that uh, rendition of the the church song? What was his name again? Church song. Church song. The guy who kicked off this whole. He's like, I'm John. Oh, oh John yeah, Dinker. The date. John the Dinker date guy. Yeah, yeah. How how do you what what was his last name? Clark? John Dinker. D A K E R. Dude, you're not gonna believe this. Oh. Uh, he he passed away this week. <gasps> oh. oh my gosh. And there's like a fitting tribute there. There, I, I saw that, uh, uh, but you know, how did you uh, find this out? Yeah. I'm going to send you guys a link. Oh, wow. I didn't, I, oh, I didn't wait. get it. I meant to the, read this the, before the, the podcast. The online date story. And like, she talked about, he made these song videos. Wait, who are you talking about? No, 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 not, not the song okay. video guy. The, the awkward the guy singer, who, the awkward singer guy. Oh, all right. I'm John Dicker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Oh, yeah. He, he was old. There he yeah. is. Wow. But I, 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 evidently, yeah, yeah. Evidently, the, this is uh, Pathios has a very interesting uh, uh, tribute to him, and which acknowledge his his viral uh, notoriety. Right. And it, it ends with the line, "May he rest in peace, and may his memory outlast the internet." Oh, oh good. that's really sweet. Oh, may all, all of our memories yeah, outlast it. So, uh, <laughs> rest in peace, John Daker. Wow. Well, there you go. Wow. Well, well there's more feedback yeah. where that came from. Go check it out. Uh, relevant podcast. Twitter account. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. All right, I said at the beginning of the show, help us invent new sports. <laughs> Do the grab bag. Find two different events. Help put them together and describe the event to us. Describe what the objective would be, uh, like Jesse's gymnastics bowling. Give us a word picture of what it would be like to experience that. Hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcasts, or you can answer wherever you see us post the question on the other socials as well. Well, before we wrap up, I want to thank Kristen Dumay for joining us. Uh, make sure to check out the rest of that conversation. Uh, it's fantastic. It's over at relevantmagazine.com. And also, if you haven't yet, make sure to pick up her book, Jesus and John Wayne. It's available everywhere. Also, make sure to visit the faith section and check out a Deeper Walk every morning. It's presented by Lumo. It's our morning devotional. Uh, you can also sign up for an email to get it sent to your inbox every morning. It's right there at relevantmagazine.com in the faith section. It's a great way to start your day. Really, really like it. Also, if you like the show, make sure to let people know. Rate us and review us wherever you listen, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or wherever you hear it. It helps us out. We love the feedback. Also, if you like the music that we play in the breaks, make sure to check out our Spotify playlist. Just search for Heard on the Relevant Podcast. We update it every week. Good bangers. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Gabrielle Griffin. She didn't ruin the show. Good job, Gabs. Two down. <laughs> Gabs, you I, killed it. You killed it, Gabs. Yeah. You did great. Great job, Gabs. <laughs> Thanks. All right. You guys have a great week, everyone. We'll see you on Friday. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at RelevantMagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on the Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at RelevantMagazine.com. We're going to need to take a beat. I did say heavenly farts. Relevant Podcast Network.